Did you ever wonder how some of the greatest people today become who they are? Most everyone has experienced that turning point in their life. It's these moments that forever changed who they were into whom they've become. Today on The Moment with Chris Epting, you'll hear from these people and hopefully be inspired to find your own life-changing moment. Now, here is your host, Chris Epting. And thank you for joining me here on The Moment today. And my guest today certainly has... um, a lot of great moments we're going to talk about. I think he's living one of them um, right now, currently. Elliot Lewis is uh, hes an amazing guy. I mean, many of you have seen him as a keyboard player and vocalist on the show Live from Daryl's House, um, performing with Daryl Hall and John Oates for, for many years, uh, and in a lot of other settings as well. But what's really crazy is if you go see Elliot play as a solo artist, uh, he plays guitar. And, and he's like a guitar player who could be a lead guitar player in any band. I mean, he's that good. He's a super talented guy and uh, just just a good person in general. And I've, I've you know, really enjoyed getting to know him. I got to know Elliot originally when I was working with John Oates on John's memoir a number of years ago. I would go to a lot of Hall & Oates shows and had some great conversations with Elliot. I think we're kindred musical spirits, and I'm really happy to have him here today. Elliot, are you there? I am here, man, and so, so great to connect with you again. Uh, listen, well, first of all, happy birthday. This is going to be obviously recorded <laughs> for posterity, but we're getting to do this on your birthday, and that's a real uh, nice surprise for me as well, man. So happy birthday. Oh, thank you. You know, I, I try to keep it, <laughs> uh, as far as like social media, I try to keep it under the radar every year, and I'm usually pretty successful, but uh, I think my girlfriend posted something, so it, it got out pretty quick. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, you're talking to us today, you're in Chicago, and you've been part yeah. of a, a really remarkable musical experiment the last uh, month or so. And what it is, for those that don't know, is Todd Rundgren, who's been ahead of the curve in a lot of ways, um, has launched a tour based in Chicago, a virtual tour, uh, where the show can be projected into a variety of cities and then fans within those cities can purchase it. He chose Chicago evidently because the time change allows for kind of a flexibility of going on at eight o'clock or so. And in an age where nobody is playing out live, Todd figured out a way to do basically a full-on tour and cover the country uh, with an amazing band of, of which you're a part of. And I know when you and I first spoke, I think, you know, backstage at a Hall & Oates show, we were talking about Todd Rundgren. We were talking about different kinds of music we liked, and Todd came up, and we certainly were both uh, big fans of Todd. I, and you've had a chance to play with Todd, which we'll get into on Daryl's show and a number of other places. But what's it been like for you, this particular uh, moment for you, Elliot, being in Chicago, being part of this revolutionary tour in the middle of this, you know, horrific pandemic, but still finding a way to deliver the goods every night in, in a compelling um, unique way. I mean, it's for you, not just as a musician, but as a fan, this has got to be a really great moment. Oh God, Chris, it's amazing. It's, uh, you know, firstly, I'm, uh, you know, I was shocked to get the call to do this. Um, I was out doing some solo shows um, out in the Midwest, really kind of like uh, late in the summer, maybe early fall. Um, and I got the call to do this, and it was a, a real surprise um, that they had thought of me even to do this. You know, I mean, Todd has got his pick of really any musician in the world. And so I was so flattered and surprised. Oh, what an honor. So you, didn't, you didn't even petition it. They, they came to you. They came to me, yeah, wow. which was like amazing. You know, they, they had one keyboard player, but they knew for what he wanted to do musically that it was going to be a two keyboard uh, show. So um, they had this, and, he, and he's incredible, the other keyboard player, Gil Esaias. Yeah, he really, he's um, the one who filled in for Ralph Shuckett on the Utopia reunion tour a couple of years ago. Yeah, and he is a really, really accomplished keyboard player. I mean, can play classical and jazz in pretty much anything you throw at him. He's, and I am just not nearly in that league. You know, I'm sort of a, a meat and potatoes kind of musician. I can do a little bit of everything. So that's why I was kind of shocked that they reached out to me to do it. But like you said, you know, I've gotten a chance to play with Todd uh, over the years on and off. And so when he, when they reached out to me to do this, I just figured, well, we'll leave it to Todd to come up with something like this. Like you said, nobody is really doing something in the virtual domain this extensive. Right. Um, you know, a lot of bands or artists have done, 
you know, either one-offs or they've done just a couple. But, uh, but for Todd to undertake this, is, it's pretty amazing. And just, you know, just to, goes to show what, what an innovator this guy is. He really is. He just keeps coming up with these amazing ideas and ways to present music and production and, uh, you know, his vision. Uh, the band is incredible. Um, you know, Prairie Prince on drums, who I had never worked with, but met a couple of times. Mm -hmm. Of course, Chasm, um, playing with Chasm, and we've crossed paths over the years. You know, we have a lot of commonality, I think, in our, our careers. Uh, he was actually in Hall and Oates as well. That's right, Chasm um, Salt and bass player. Yeah, Chasm Salt. Original Utopia, yeah. and, and you're, that's right, he played with Hall and Oates, I think, in the early 90s. Right, right. And um, I, I just found out, I was kind of shocked to hear that he played keyboards with Cheap Trick on a tour. <laughs> right, right. So he's, you know, he's a multi-instrumentalist like I am. And he's a super, super talented, just super sweet guy. I, you know, we obviously love dearly and miss T-Bone. Uh, but being around Chasm, honestly, has been like the closest thing, the closest feeling I've had uh, with another musician. So I'm loving working with him. Well, the uh, band is interesting because it's a, it's a big band. It kind of, you've got a brass section. Yeah. Um, you've got, it harkens back to me to kind of the big version of Utopia in the mid seventies, which had two keyboard players. Yeah. Um, you know, some, you know, I think Roger Powell playing trumpet, which got you some brass. I mean, it kind of feels like that flavor, which gave Todd room to really get expansive and, you know, replicate some things. The album Nearly Human, which you're playing, this is kind of a, a show foundationally built around that album which has a lot of complicated uh, sounds and arrangements and things. So it's, I think the band really uh, steps up and does what it needs to do. Oh, thank you. I mean, it's a, yeah, that record is a very, very sophisticated, you know, musically rich uh, record. And it honestly, it wasn't a record I was real familiar with. I, I, I wondered about that. I, you know, I wondered if that, because a lot of people missed that record. It's yeah. 1989. And at that point, Todd, you know, uh, you know, Utopia, I think had broken up about four years earlier. He, Todd had been off doing a bunch of different experimental things and a really fully fledged record like that that sort of harkened back to more the classic pop sort of hermit of mink hollow era uh, yeah. people were really ready for I remember it got a great review in rolling stone and helped relaunch this kind of next phase of todd's career it's a beautiful record i mean it really has a lot of diverse sounds on it and some of killer ballads you know real classic todd rundgren ballads and and things like that. But it's, I'm glad that, that that record is sort of the centerpiece because it's for a lot of people, like you said, they, they kind of missed out on it. Yeah, exactly. You know, I had, you know, remember T-Bone and Daryl um, when I first worked with Todd, them both saying, oh, you got to hear this song, Parallel Lines. It's just incredible. It's just yeah. mind blowing. So I was familiar with that song. And of course, Want of a Nail, I, I had played with him. Uh, but, but the bulk of the record I hadn't heard. And, and sort of, I think it was a di real different record for him in that he didn't really play on it himself. Right. He had all these incredible musicians. And I think a and lot of it was done live in the studio, if I remember. Part yeah. of the concept was to just sort of let it happen there rather than go, you know what I mean? And um, yeah. because he had the backdrop of not playing everything himself for once. Like exactly, record. exactly. And talking to Bobby Strickland, who was a part of that record in the show, right. you know, I was really curious of what the process was. And he said, basically, I said, you know, did he have everything demoed and recorded? And then he taught the band the parts. And he said, no, he basically had all of that music in his head. And he <laughs> literally would just spit it out to the musicians. And I, to me, that's just mind blowing that he can have that amount of detailed music in his head, you know, uh, completely formed yeah. <laughs> in a range. It's Ellie, what was it like? I, I was curious. Okay, so this tour comes together. Obviously, there are protocols and limitations uh, of what you can and can't do. So everyone's yeah. going to assemble in Chicago, right? Right. Um, I imagine, are you rehearsing stuff at home before you go to Chicago? Or is everything happen once you hit the ground? Why don't you walk us through the process of what well, yeah. the whole thing was like? And what, you know, when you get there, everyone can't hang out. You've got to have COVID tests. What, what's the whole process like? Well, it was apparent 
apparent that they wanted to do this uh, and they wanted to do it as safely as possible. They, they took it very, very seriously. So, you know, I knew we were going to do this record as well as some other songs. So I immediately got to work on the record and then we eventually got the song list. And, um, and it was, you know, it's quite a bit of work. I mean, it's a little, it's, well, it's a lot more extensive than uh, other things that I've been involved in musically. Um, as far as the amount of music and sort of the sophistication that goes into it. Mm-hmm. So, um, uh, so yeah, we, we rehearsed, I rehearsed and learned the stuff on my own at home, uh, you know, under lockdown. And, and then we, we arrived here on the 4th of February and uh, everybody had to be tested immediately right off the plane. Um, and so we basically, they basically said, well, we're going to be in a bubble, which means we, we try to, uh, to be in this bubble where we go from the apartments that we're staying into the venue. We order in, we'd get food, to, you know, brought to us and, uh, try to do this safely as possible. Now there are some, uh, there are some people that are allowed to buy tickets and be there in person, right. and they also have to have a negative COVID test within seventy-two hours. Or no, I think that I think show a vaccine, right? Like nineteen yeah. people, right? Was the initial, yeah, um, number, and I, they may be broadening that. I guess as the Chicago, um, you know, rules kind of change to allow more people. So the rule was going to be you yeah. have nineteen people at the gig. And then people could also, they could purchase just the show or, right, they could purchase an opportunity to be kind of projected almost on a big screen TV in there to be like a virtual audience in the theater, right? Exactly. And I thought that was ingenious because it gives us something to project to, uh, especially Todd, you know, instead of just an empty, uh, uh, you know, venue. Um, I mean, last year was nothing but doing that for me, doing these sort of virtual Zoom shows and, you know, private shows and live streams and stuff where you're playing just with camera, but nobody. So the idea of coming up with uh, this, this where they could put some of his fans on these screens and there are quite a lot of them. So, and uh, you know, the more people that are on it, the smaller the boxes get because the more people they're able to put on each screen. So they've been progressively getting more and more filled up. So it's great for us to, between that and the people that are physically there, uh, there's, there's quite a bit of energy that's been able to Well, I was going to say, the people who are there, yeah. if it's just 19 people, that's, that's a unique experience to, to be at a Todd Rundgren show where you're one of 19 because, again, yeah. it's very select and it's, um, you know, you're part of history at that point. I mean, not many people get to enjoy artists, you know, with that kind of intimate uh, sense, I'm guessing. And it's the show, the production, you've seen the show, it's really incredible. So for the people that are there in person, you're seeing this incredible production, this incredible show very closely. I mean, you know, within a safe distance, but they're still not like in the the back of an arena or a theater, you know, so it's a really intimate experience for the people that are there. Are Um, you as a band, does the band hang out together when you're not performing or is everyone kept separate? What's it like on a day to day? Um, yeah, that number of people. Um, yeah, I mean, we basically leave the hotel at the same time. We're in either one of two vehicles that are assigned to us for the whole sh- the whole run, and um, yeah, we we stay together from the time that we leave the, our rooms to the venue, and then back on days off. We don't necessarily have to see each other uh, unless you know Todd calls a, a vocal rehearsal or something like that and wants to add a song. But that's basically it. And, you know, we started off the trip here doing about, it was either seven or eight days of rehearsal. So it was pretty intensive, full, you know, like eight hour days of rehearsal. And then once we started the shows, basically our uh, our schedule is like we do two shows, uh, then a day off, two shows, day off. And that's been the, the, the whole the whole plan for the rest of the tour. Wow. And Todd, I mean, you know, his, his voice sounds wonderful. He certainly uh, is, is delivering. What, what's he like as, as a band leader from your standpoint? Well, I had already known Todd. You know, I have so much respect for him as an artist and a musician. He's, I mean, for me, he's great to work with. He's like the epitome of a real artist. Um, he obviously has incredible incredible ears so um you know but working with him is very chilled out at the same time there's no 
Todd, as incredible as he is, he's, he's a very down-to-earth person. Um, you know, there's no pressure. He's got a great sense of humor. Yeah. So, you know, there's some real fun. He's, he's, he's quirky in a, in a really uh, amazing way. <laughs> That's all mm-hmm. I can say, you know. He's, I mean, the, to me, he's a guy's a creative genius, you know. Well, his guitar playing sounds great as well. Now, why don't you talk about the guitar player who's part of the band? Because that's obviously uh, a very important role to fill. Yeah, um, Bruce McDaniel is is playing guitar. Of course, Todd's playing guitar on some of the stuff. Uh, but Bruce, I had hadn't worked with, so I met him on this project. And uh, fantastic, he's terrific. Guy. He's really yeah. terrific. Yeah, I know he had played with with Todd a few times in Chasm, and uh, yeah, he's great. Really lovely guy, super talented, very very prepared, uh, as are everybody in the band. Um, and yeah, I mean, just the band's just really lovely, great group of people. The the girls, the singers are amazing. Yeah, um, Michelle yeah. Lundgren, Todd's yeah. wife, is up there as well as she was in 1989. I know, um, and, she, and I really didn't know um, that she was th- that incredible of a singer. She yeah. really is an amazing singer. And she's got her whole thing going on on her own. It's uh, well, she brings she she brings I think a, a really uh, a nice energy to it. And 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 again, for people that saw the show back then, I think it's kind of cool to have a couple of people, uh, you know, Bobby Strickland and Michelle, that were part of that show as sort yeah. of the continuum, you know, that remind you because that that was a great show in 1989. I saw it a couple of times, and that was a of all the Todd Rundgren tours. That's certainly one of my favorites because again, it was Todd kind of reestablishing himself, I think, in a lot of ways as a as a world-class performer who knew how to pick musicians, you know, really good musicians. Yeah. I thought, you know, when I when I started listening to that uh, original Tokyo show, uh, I think it's from 91, where they did right. that whole record, I was so impressed with that band. I mean, that band back then was really incredible. So that's great. Where did you get a chance to see him? I saw it at tour? the Wiltern in Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. And I'm trying to think, I saw it one other time um, that I can't remember. Then I saw a, y- a year after with his next record uh, where he was still doing, kind of, it was still a, sort of a large band set up like that. I think yeah. for a few years, Todd kind of incorporated that sprawling, you know, very expansive kind of band on stage. But, um, but I, I, again, I loved the Nearly Human record. I loved um, how it fit in the Todd Rundgren canon. And it, uh, again, it brought back for fans back then in, in 89 and 90 a, a lot of memories of why they became Todd Rundgren fans in the first place. Because of those melodies and those lyrics yes, and things that absolutely. just break you over the coals. You know? <laughs> you, uh, I mean, he, he, uh, he goes so far back in my life, Chris. I mean, uh, my brothers turned me on to Todd when I was probably... I don't know, eight years old, eight or nine years old, because Ellie, my you know, oldest- I'll hold that though. We have a commercial break, but I want to pick up yeah. on that because I was going to ask you when your Todd moment, when this first crystallized, we're going to get to that. My guest is Elliot Lewis. If you want to check out the, the remaining Todd Rundgren shows, nocapshows.com is the place to order up. I'm Chris Septing. This is the moment and we'll be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Chris Epting will be releasing the third edition of his best-selling baseball travel Bible, Roadside Baseball, in June 2019. Academy Award-nominated director Ken Burns said about Roadside Baseball, What a wonderful book. All the stations of the cross of our national pastime are here, big and small, telling and frivolous. I can imagine this book in the glove compartment of every true fan's car. A handy reference to this beloved game, no matter where in the country you are. The new edition features hundreds of new places to discover, more rare photos, stories, and trivia. It's everything you need to plan the baseball road trip of your dreams. Roadside Baseball, coming this June. Available for pre-order right now on Amazon.com. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. You 
are listening to The Moment with Chris Epting. If you have a question or comment about our show, please send an email to Chris at chrisepting.com. That's chris at chrisepting.com. Now, back to The Moment. Talking with Elliot Lewis today, multi-multi-talented uh, uh, musician, singer, songwriter. He's now part of the extremely unique Todd Rundgren virtual tour, the Clearly Human Tour, currently based in Chicago, but projecting itself out to cities all across the nation. Elliot, before the break, you were talking about your first entree into the music of Todd Rundgren. You said you were eight years old. Yeah, it, it was probably about eight or nine years old. Um, you know, I grew up in a very musical family and two older brothers, one of them a guitar player, still a guitar player, great guitar player. And he was listening to all the British stuff, but he was really into this band called the Naz. <laughs> and um, so I, I mean, that was my first introduction to Todd, you know, um, open your eyes and which I kind of remembered as thinking maybe that was it sounded like the who to me, you know, when yeah, I was very a kid. Much so. Very much so. And um, and then, of course, uh, something anything was playing nonstop when that came out. I guess that was about 72. So I would exactly. have been 10 years old. Um, and I just love I mean, I loved you know, I loved Bowie and I loved Alice Cooper, but then I, I loved Sly, Sly and the Family Stone and Stevie Wonder, and then Todd came along, and I, it just fascinated, fascinated me. I mean, it was so rich musically uh, and made a big impression on me. And I always say this when I talk about, when people ask me why I, um, or how I became a multi-instrumentalist, I always um, point to this very specific moment that I can remember when I was a kid, when my brother told me, um, because we would, you know, we would be listening to something, anything, and then we would be listening to inner visions. And my mm-hmm. brother at one point told me, you know, Todd and CV Wonder, they both play all the, all the instruments on the records or for the most part. And my little 10 year old brain tried to you know, wrap my head around that. And, but I was fascinated with that. And once I understood how that worked, um, I was so captivated with that concept. So I think later on in my career, when I became more serious about doing this for the rest of my life, uh, I wanted to be a multi-instrumentalist because that was so inspiring, you know. Elliot, but you, you played with Todd twice on the TV show Live from Daryl's House, right? Right. There was one at Daryl's House, then one at Todd's house in Hawaii. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, I guess he was really the only guest to, <laughs> to do two shows with Daryl. Um, and we actually did, we did a live show based on live from Daryl's house. So right. we actually did a, you know, in-person show. I think it was in New Jersey or something like that. Um, what do you think that to me watching those shows, there was a, a great chemistry between Todd and Daryl, not just because they're from Philadelphia, but musically, they seemed really in sync. I think of all the episodes that you've played on and we'll get into those after, but, uh, but the Todd ones were really special. Was, did you sense something special between that musical partnership within the context of the shows? Oh, absolutely. I think Todd and Daryl have a, a deep bond you know, I think they, they come from the same place musically. Um, and, you know, I mean, they've known each other forever. They, they worked together back in 74, I guess. Yeah. So they've been crossing paths and working together for a long time. And they really have, you know, similar uh, musicality. Um, so, so I think when you see their um, interaction, that's all real. You know, that uh, that kind of relationship that, that they have is it really comes across on the shows. And the first time I worked with Todd, he actually was opening up for Hall & Oates. This is back in, um, I guess, 2005. Uh huh. So um, that was my first introduction working with uh, Todd. Um, it, me, T-Bone, and the drummer at the time, Mike Braun, were his band for the whole tour. So, you know, how cool is that? I was able to play a show with Todd and then come back out and do, do a whole show with Hall & Oates. So that was Amazing. great. I think that lasted about three or four weeks, something like that. Well, look, you must have made some kind of impression to get the call like you did. I'm sure some of it goes back to those moments in Todd's comfort level with what you did on the show, right. um, both on stage and on television, right? I mean, otherwise. 
Yeah, I guess so. I would think so. I would think, I guess he probably thinks if I can handle all those shows, I could maybe handle one more of his. <laughs> now, speaking of live from Daryl's house, you know, I, I don't know how many episodes you're at now in terms of, of a headcount, but, uh, but that show obviously uh, was also very innovative. This whole idea of kind of unplugging and, you know, delving, sharing catalogs and food and all that, 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 you know, the way Daryl um, created that clearly was a very unique concept that that caught fire with a lot of people what were some of the episodes for you elliot that stood out or still stand out besides the rungan ones oh my god a lot and and a lot for different reasons you know even back to the the real early years in the show with Smokey robinson Mm -hmm. um booker t Oh, God, you know, Rob Thomas, Katie Tunstall, who is still a good friend, um, you know, and then we get into the sort of midsection of of its lifespan and, you know, um, Goo Goo Dolls and Train. And then we get on to some of my favorite artists, people that, you know, that I grew up that were my heroes, like Billy Gibbons, mm-hmm. um, Joe Walsh, uh, Cheap Trick. Definitely, I'm a huge Cheap Trick fan. And I know Todd is as well. He, he worked and produced a, right. uh, one, one Cheap Trick record. So, I mean, there's so many. And, you know, there's there's been new artists that I hadn't heard of that we work with that were that were amazing as well. So it's been, you know, the whole thing has just been an incredible experience. I, I never in a million years thought you know, would turn, my career would turn into what it has, but the show itself, you know, because it's, I mean, I knew it would be, it would be kind of popular because it's Daryl Hall, but it started so very small and very casually and and then kind of grew into this, this big thing that's kind of known all over the world. So it's been an amazing experience to, you know, to be a part of all of it. I was always really impressed with just the versatility of the band. The fact that any artists that came in, you all became like their best band. You know what I mean? It was, and you <laughs> yeah. couldn't have had that much time to prepare. I'm guessing, right? I mean, what would that what's that sort of process like when you know, like a Mayor Hawthorne's coming in, or a Booker T, or a Smokey? How much time yeah. prep time would you have normally um, to get things together? Yeah, I mean, it kind of varied. You know, some shows would be like, uh, well, some shows we would have the luxury of having a couple of weeks, which uh, usually it was only a week or so that we would get the song list would be finalized. Um, and then sometimes things would change a little bit or they'd say, hey, let's change the key of this song, you know. Um, but it was typically uh, a week, I would say, was the average that we would get the song list and be able to prepare on our own. Uh, but again, you know, you have to be kind of quick on your feet to be able to adapt to any changes. Uh, but, you know, credit to all the guys in that band and all the people that we've had in the band because they've all just musicians you know yeah and a pleasure to work with elliot talk a little bit about your entree with daryl hall and john oates how that happens what the transition is and what point in your life that takes place yeah so um you know pre hall and oates i was with the average white band uh from back in the 80s uh, from 89 to about 2001 i was a, an official member touring member um, so I met Daryl through that because Daryl and Alan Gorey, the bass player in Average White Band, had been friends since the 70s and worked together. So, you know, there would be occasions where uh, Daryl would show up at an Average White Band show and see me. Uh, and, and I got to know him that way, sort of socially first. And then there was one moment where uh, we were playing in London and he, he kind of, he, I think he was there with his manager and just kind of said, you know, I would love for you to be in my band at some point, something to that effect. So, you know, I had another, I wasn't quite ready to leave the average white band at that moment, but um, eventually I did. And then about a year and a half later, I got the call from T-Bone. You know, he called me, I think it was on a New Year's Eve and I had a show and he called me and said, hey, Al, it's T-Bone and uh, I'm sitting here with Daryl and he's he's put, putting together a, uh, a solo tour. And he said, we're, we're looking for somebody that maybe could play a little bass, maybe a little bit of keyboard, sing and maybe some percussion. <laughs> <laughs> and they were like, oh, we got to call Elliot. <laughs> so um, so I did that tour, the solo tour. Uh, it was only a couple of weeks. But at the end of it, Daryl said, you know, would you officially like to be in the band? 
And I was like, well, of course. And, um, you know, and the keyboard position really was what was open at that point. I mean, I might have ended up on guitar, but I think T-Bone was already playing guitar at that point. So um, that's why the keyboard thing kind of sucked for me. And uh, so that was back in, you know, officially joined, I think, in about 2004. Wow. Yeah. 16 years or something, whatever it is. (laughs) It's crazy. Yeah, and that, that of course, is a whole other, you know, musical moment for you, being part of that legacy and, and all the tours with, with Daryl and John, you know, great band members um, over the years, a killer yeah. band right now. I mean, whenever you guys can get back out, yeah. um, I think uh, they, I think Daryl and John both have acknowledged that the current band right now is like their favorite band ever, and they've had some good ones over the years. They definitely have. Yeah, I take that as a big compliment because they've always had great musicians. What's it like? And again, we talked about what it's like to kind of be within Todd's universe. As far as being with those guys, though, I mean, here you've got, you know, a musical act that's certainly part of the fabric of, of world music culture. I mean, you know, it's a, there aren't that many really household names anymore, but Hall & Oates is one of those kind of brand names that, you know, everybody on the planet knows it, you know, and it's and, and what goes along with that. What's that like for you to translate that music to help reinvent that music and keep that music relevant for people on the road to, you know, for people in the audiences when you're on the road today? Well, like you said, I mean, they, they have such a history. Their music has such history that, um, you know, so many people know their music through so many different sources for so long. So, uh, you know, their fan base is, is just staggering. It, it's an incredible uh, experience to be with. I mean, it's uh, it's really brought, Hall & Oates have brought me some of my absolutely most incredible experiences in my whole career. Uh, From a touring standpoint, I mean, I've played every venue, Chris, that I could ever imagine, (laughs) dream of playing when I was, since I was a kid, you know, Madison Square Garden was always my uh, gold standard, you know, uh, dream. And I've played it three times with them and, you know, the Budokan and the O2 Arena and Wembley and the Red Rocks, everything you can think of. Uh, You know, there's not much more. I think (laughs) there's, there's no place else left that uh, that's on my list. I've checked off that. And just, you know, the ride that I've had with them is incredible um and then of course you know daryl's show uh, became what it is and, and and i've been able to work with almost 100 artists on that show so the whole experience has just been uh, incredible yeah, it's um, it's it's fun to watch. I mean, again, like I said, I, I love the current band, but but knowing what you bring to it is always interesting. And what's fascinating too, um, you you like photography a lot, and you yeah. do what certain there's a handful of musicians. Tony Levin's one of them. They they document the road experience in a very personal way, and and I think you do a really great job of that for fans that want to check out your photography on your website. We can get to um, and and it's just another way of artistically representing your environment right and letting people kind of inside that bubble yeah exactly you know I, I picked photography up as as kind of a hobby when I was about 17 and actually you know who kind of inspired I mean it was already kind of happening but then who kind of inspired me to take it a, a step further was Andy Summers of the police um, because I saw his black and white photography way back right. in, you know, in 1980. It was really good. That, yeah, and the stuff that he was doing. So it kind of inspired me to kind of take it to another level. But it really always kind of stayed a hobby. Um, when I joined Hall & Oates, uh, a T-Bone actually had seen some of my black and white photography and said, hey, Daryl, you should check out some of Elliot's uh, uh, photography. And he did, and and then asked me to sort of almost officially kind of, you know, shoot them while we're on the road and, and not only document it from my perspective, but document them. So that was a really incredible opportunity, another opportunity that, that I never, you know, thought would ever happen. Wow. So it's, a, it's been pretty cool. Yeah. <laughs> That that yeah that that's a gig that certainly seems to be a gift that keeps giving opportunities. And I have and I have fun as you probably see. You know, at the end of their show, I usually try to get a great audience shot to document that night, and um, and also give fans that are at least with within the range of the picture an opportunity to see themselves from our perspective. Well, look, there's nothing like that perspective of 20,000 satisfied faces, right? People are just exhausted emotionally, spiritually, physically, just from what they've been through in the last couple of hours and what it's done to them. And that's a very 
exhilarating moment to capture. And I think that's a great series you've done. ElliotLewis.com is the website where you can check all these things out. One L, one T. Elliot, we're at break time again, so we're going to come back and discuss your solo work in just a minute. I'm Chris Epting, and this is The Moment. Find out what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at VoiceAmericaTRN. Chris Epting will be releasing the third edition of his best-selling baseball travel Bible, Roadside Baseball, in June 2019. Academy Award-nominated director Ken Burns said about Roadside Baseball, What a wonderful book. All the stations of the cross of our national pastime are here, big and small, telling and frivolous. I can imagine this book in the glove compartment of every true fan's car. A handy reference to this beloved game, no matter where in the country you are. The new edition features hundreds of new places to discover, more rare photos, stories, and trivia. It's everything you need to plan the baseball road trip of your dreams. Roadside Baseball, coming this June. Available for pre-order right now on Amazon.com. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective, plus topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite hosts. It's just a click away at blog.voiceamerica.com. That's blog.voiceamerica.com. The Voice America Press Blog. All access all the time become our friend on facebook post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline visit facebook.com forward slash voice america you are listening to the moment with chris epting if you have a question or comment about our show please send an email to chris at chrisepting.com. That's chris at chrisepting.com. Now, back to The Moment. And I'm back here with Elliot Lewis, uh, keyboardist, guitar player, singer-songwriter extraordinaire, currently part of Todd Rundgren's Clearly Human virtual touring band based in Chicago, where Elliot joins us from today, a uh, permanent fixture with Daryl Hall and John Oates. And also, Elliot, you have found the time to carve out a really nice solo career as well. What are the challenges of that, being as busy as you are, especially with Daryl and John in a normal world? How do you find the time and what's that process like for you to put out your own music? Yeah, I mean, it's it's been a part of my uh, my world forever, really. So, you know, I've just uh, tried to keep it going uh, in the midst of all this other stuff. And, you know, with Hall & Oates, we're not touring constantly. I mean, right. some years are busy busier than others. But, you know, I, there's been years where I've written stuff on the road if I have to and even done some recording on the road. I don't do so much of that anymore. But usually there's time. Um, and I'm, I've been able to put out a record or CD, you know, almost every year, maybe a year and a half, uh, something to that, you know, it just, it's just, there's always music in me. So if I have the time to, um, to record it, I do. Uh, it's very, your you know, solo stuff has always struck me as being very, um, uh, very up and very positive and, and very, uh, very inspired and really kind of striving, um, you know, for good. I mean, it's, it's the messaging is always really nice and, and hopeful. I, mean, I don't know if that's all by intent or design, but I think that's a real signature of a lot of your solo stuff. Oh, thank you. I think, honestly, it's probably just a reflection of how I feel. <laughs> you know, I feel incredibly fortunate as, as a person and uh, to have the career and life I do. So I think it probably comes out in my, my messages and my lyrics, you know. And getting back to what I said at the top of the show, for anyone who hasn't seen you play, as a guitar player, I mean, you know, <laughs> I remember the first time it was after Hall and Oates show. I think it was in Las Vegas, and you oh, mentioned right, you were right. playing yeah. like right after. Yeah. And I said, "Well, cool. You know, I want I want to come see." And I thought you'd be playing keyboards. 
Right. And I got the shock of my life. And I, you know, I, I said to John the next day, I said, he's like an amazing guitar player. And John rolled his eyes. He goes, tell me about it. He goes, the guy can basically do anything. You know, he's a really, you know, a serious player, whatever he touches. We know he's, he's like, great. But yeah. I, I was just so knocked out by your guitar playing. And, uh, you know, and it made me want to obviously see you more times over the years. And, you, and your live shows are always very, you know, I think they're great because you balance out your solo stuff w while also sort of checking the boxes of people you've played with and doing some fun cover songs and really sort of representing your, your, uh, the totality of your career, right? Absolutely. That's a, that's 100% right. Yeah. It, as much music as I put out, I've been lucky enough to play a lot of music with all these people. And some of those songs are, you know, they're really special to me you know, it, from Average White Band still and Hall and & Oates and Todd and, and a lot of other people. So I like to kind of mix it up and, um, you know, pay respect to some of those artists. And it gives people some common you know, some commonality of things that, that may be important in their life, you know? Sure. Um, so yeah, it's a, and, and I, luckily I've found a way to, to do shows on a normal year anyway, you know, um, on a Hall and Oates tour, you know, we'll have a night off and then I'll book a show in advance knowing if we're in a city that I can right. host a show and, and, uh, and, and do it. So it's, it's logistically doing, a challenge, but it's, you know, I love doing it. <laughs> right. And, and in the COVID era, you've done a nice job of, um, you know, also uh, doing virtual things and making sure that your presence is still felt, right? Yeah. You know, I mean, like everybody else, when, when it hit and it was really scary at first, you know, I think we all just tried to figure out what are we going to do? Because we didn't know how long and how serious it was going to be. So I think for musicians, especially knowing that everything has got to stop because we can't put people in a room, we can't physically be with people uh, was a very scary moment. Um, but after the initial shock kind of kind of, you know, wore off, I was like, well, I'm just going to do what I do and make music. And, and of course, a lot of people were doing live streams. So I thought, let me let me try this. You know, it's not um, strange for me to play to a camera because of all the years I've been doing that at Live from Daryl's house without an audience. Right. You know, with just musicians right. in a room with cameras. So that was a fairly comfortable thing for me to do. So I did that. And um, and I really enjoyed it, just connecting with fans, you know, and I did some recording and I got very, very lucky to, you know, get hired by some companies to do some private shows and fans would want me to do some shows. So I actually kept really busy for the whole year. I just hunkered down and, um, you know, and one one positive thing was it was just kind of nice to be home for a year to sure. experience not traveling, you know, as much as I love it. Uh, it was just a nice way to kind of reconnect with that part of my life. Elliot, what were some of the shows growing up that you, you saw live that mm -hmm. were um, that resonated with you, I maybe inspired you, but that today you look back on and say, okay, those were some of the best things I ever saw that really helped shape my musical presence? Oh, my God. There was a, there's a lot. Well, the first really big show that I saw that blew my mind that just put that bug into my head that Madison Square Garden was the pinnacle was was Alice Cooper mm -hmm. um, through my good friend my my best friend's father was in the music business so he you know he brought us to shows every week um, typically in New York so you know one week I would see Alice Cooper and uh, the next week it would be The Who and then Elton John uh, wow. the, just on and on and he worked with Peter Frampton so Peter Frampton's Come Alive record my friend's father was a uh, promotion man for that record at A&M huh. so Peter Frampton was in my life a little bit you know back <laughs> then I think we jammed with him when I was 14 so um, that's funny you know, because so, he, he was in my yeah. life too, in that he, when he bought his first big place after the money from comes alive, it was down the street from us in Westchester County, not too oh, far. Right. I think, when you were in Connecticut. Right. Um, right. But yeah. I remember as being a teenager, there was seeing him. It was like God coming down from the mountain. I mean, at that point he was really, um, he was the biggest act on the planet, you know, for yeah. a while there. And it was, uh, and he was ensconced up there off of Glendale road in an ossining right down the street from, he, I, I remember this distinctly. He came from Westchester in his Carmagia with his with his girlfriend Penny, 
to our friend's house and he spent the afternoon there and we wow. ended up jamming in our little jam room and I was uh, this, this would have been this would have been probably the end of 75. This was just before the Alive record came out. Wow. So we, I already knew about Frampton with his solo records, and my brothers were Humble, pa- uh, Humble Pie fans. So I was, already, uh, I was already deeply into him. But, uh, so I knew how exciting it would be. But then within a year, then everything exploded for him. And like you said, he was probably one of the biggest artists in the world at that point. So what were some other shows you remember? You got Cooper, you got The Who, you got Elton John. Um, West Bruce and Lang was actually my first concert. Do you remember them? Absolutely. So Les- Le- Leslie West, right? Kind of an Mountain. early super group. Yeah, exactly. Um, and my friend that I was just mentioning has a picture of me in the front row of that concert holding my arms show? up. <laughs> it was in Fairfield, uh, uh, Connecticut, I think. Wow. It was at like a college, you know, it was like, you know, there were about five or 600 people there. <laughs> Yeah, Corky Lang. Now, that's awesome. I mean, that's... Yeah, but I mean, you know, there's so many. I mean, the police were... I was a huge police fan. I saw them in 1980 at the Garden. Uh, of course, Cheap Trick many times. But I loved, I loved, you know, all the big bombastic bands. I was a huge Kiss fan, I have yeah, to say. Too. I have to admit it. <laughs> hey, listen. There's no shame in that. I'm right with you. I know. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. I saw my first Kiss show in, in 76 in New Jersey. And um, it was what, just fun, fun stuff. Was it outdoors at the... Um, yes, it was in a, a horrible old rundown stadium. Roosevelt Stadium. Roosevelt Stadium. There you go. I remember. I remember the show. Remember the show. And it was actually documented, Chris. There's actually video. There's of black it. and white footage of it. Yeah. It's, yes. And when was, I found that, that really, I was like, oh, yeah, I was there. <laughs> that was a huge show. That it, it, that was a really big kiss show. It was one of the first real outdoor. Yeah. You know, Roosevelt Stadium's no longer there. It was an old. Um, yeah, you know, Negro League Park. The Dodgers played there for a little while, but, uh, but but they started hosting shows. The Grateful Dead played there, and and other yeah. bands as well. But yeah, Kiss did a big show there. And I, I remember. I mean, I was really young, and 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 I, we didn't even have permission to leave the house. My parents were like, I think we said my brother and I said, we're going to New Jersey to see a KISS show. <laughs> my parents were like, no, you're not. <laughs> now, I want to remember, and- <laughs> okay, my personal memory, I, if I'm not mistaken, opening that show, yeah. um, I think, did Bob Seger open that show? Yes, very good, very good. Uh, Jay <laughs> Giles and, and Bob Wait, Seger. De- <laughs> there was another band, too. I think Point Blank opened before Seeger, if I'm not mistaken. You, you got it. Point blank, <laughs> Bob Seeger, Jay Giles, and then Kiss. Right. You definitely got your money's worth. <laughs> what a show. I mean, tickets were probably seven bucks, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. They were probably seven or eight bucks. Uh, and we got there. We ended up getting there. Um, I think we told our uh, my parents that we were going to a friend's house instead. And we ended up going to New Jersey to see the show. <laughs> and it was about 100 degrees. And we, you know, we were out in the uh, uh, outside all day. It was uh, pretty memorable. And yeah, I'll remember really had- this. I remember distinctly, but but this particular show, Chris, because the stage was not normal. It was so high. It was so much higher than any other stage I had ever seen. So I was like, I can't see their boots, so I have to move back. (laughs) (laughs) The stage was literally like 15 or 20 feet high. It was crazy. It's so funny. Kiss memories from the 70s for everything people our age are memorable. I saw them at the Garden in 77 when a band called Piper, led by Billy Squire, opened up. Oh, my God. I saw Piper open up for a band called Angel. Do you remember Angel? Angel (laughs) was on the same label as Kiss. I I think they were part. They were supposed to be kind of like a a Kiss without makeup. Like they they dressed in all white, right? Yes. Whereas Kiss was sort of like the black kabuki. Exactly. Exactly. No, look those days. What I love about you and your career, Elliot, is that we can sit and talk like this. There's there's a there's an almost famous kind of um, feeling of you who were such a fan and went to all these shows and were right up against it, and now you find yourself in the midst of it yourself and. You're you're one of those guys. You're up there on those same stages that you watched people play. You're at Madison Square Garden where you might have seen Kiss or The Who or whatever. And yeah. you're able to sort of walk in those footsteps. And I think there's a great, uh, there's just a great, you know, uh, sense of story there as far as what you've done and what you continue to do. And I think being in Todd's band right now during this 
momentous time we live through right now is just sort of a, it's another feather in your hat, you know, and another really great accomplishment. Yeah, there are, you know, there are days when I just say, wow, how did this all happen? <laughs> when I when I look back at, at the, just how you summarize it is absolutely true. I just don't know how it happened, you know. Um, all these people that I grew up loving and listening to and really worshiping, I've played with now a lot of them. So it's a, it's a full circle moment for sure. Well, and it's funny when you came, when I saw you doing, uh, with your show called the moment, I have a song also called living in the moment. So, uh, I do feel like we're on the same page in a lot of ways. Well, listen, uh, you know, Elliot's solo stuff, you want to check out elliotlewis.com. Everything's available there, right? Elliot, if people want to get more familiar with your stuff. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, as far as the next year or so goes, I mean, I'm, I'm guessing, you know, after a nice year at home now, you're probably anxious, right, to get back out. I mean, look, you're, you're on tour now, essentially, but but you, you're looking forward to getting back on the road with Daryl and John, hopefully in the next, maybe maybe the back end of this year, who knows, but sooner than yeah. Exactly. I think we have to play the big shows by ear. You know, I'll, I'll certainly do. I've, I'm already booking some solo shows, some smaller stuff through, throughout the summer. And then hopefully, yeah, later in the year, um, Hall & Oates can get back out there and, and do what we do. You know? It's starting to feel like things, you know, I don't know about you, but I think in the, just in the last couple of weeks, there, I feel like that light at the end of the tunnel is a lot closer. And, yeah. uh, you know, it may not be Madison Square Garden to start with, but but there'll be right. outdoor shows and there'll be, you know, they'll, this will be figured out, I, I think, a lot sooner than people were thinking about. So, Yeah, I think there's reason for some optimism now. I think we're, we're moving into the right phase, you know, of this. As we sit here today, Elliot, this will be recorded, obviously, but there are how many Todd Rundgren shows left for you guys to play as of today? I want to say there's about eight shows left, something like that. Yeah. Well, it'd be great maybe, you know, if that band, it seems like down the line, how cool would it be if you could get out and do some road work once things are back to normal? Because it just the group just seems so incredible, and it would be nice to, to see you guys live. I mean, again, I've enjoyed the show virtually, but uh, I would love to see this current band live. Absolutely. And I think he'll get out there uh, later in the year, too. And I, you know, I think he knows uh, anytime he needs me, I'm there for him because I really, I really love and embrace him as an artist. Well, listen, if you want to check out one of those remaining shows, nocapshows.com is where you can go order up your virtual Todd Rundgren experience. And it is an extravaganza, great production, incredible set list, and, uh, and, and an amazing band backing Todd as usual. But this, this one's special. I think we all know that Todd's working overtime to make sure we're, fans are getting a special experience. Elliot, I want to thank you, man. We haven't chatted for a while. It's, it's a pleasure as usual. I can't wait to see you in person. I know. Uh, on stage, back. <laughs> stage wherever we'll have to do it again soon okay absolutely thank you so much chris great talking to you and catching up with you i'll talk to you so i'm chris septing and this has been the moment thanks for listening thank you for taking a moment out of your busy week to join us for the moment be sure to join chris septing for another edition every wednesday at 11 a.m pacific time and 2 p.m eastern time on the voice america variety channel we'll see you here next week